The Pellicle Podcast is sponsored by, well, no one at the moment, but it could be you. If you're interested in reaching thousands of eager beer fans with your ad here, then drop me an email to matthew at pellicalmag.com. With extra resources, we could produce more episodes in a more timely fashion. So if that sounds interesting to you, let's talk. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Pellicle Podcast with me, your host, Matthew Curtis. It's time again, at last, for our annual Beers, Wines and Ciders of the Year show. Except, while recording this, I've decided to make a small change. I'm not going to tell you about my Wines of the Year. I was just recording it and honestly, it just didn't feel like I had the conviction to talk to you knowledgeably and confidently about the wines I've enjoyed this year. I have enjoyed some amazing wine this year, but let's be honest, I'm not a wine writer. I can't talk about it with the same knowledge and experience as I can cider and especially beer. So next year, what I'm going to do is make sure I include the other team members from Pellicle in this show and get our wine writers to tell you about the wines they've enjoyed. What I can say is that I've had an interesting relationship with wine this year in that I've enjoyed a lot, and something that's been a wonderful pairing for me is sitting at home, opening a nice bottle of wine, and playing PlayStation. I spent most of my time gaming this year playing a game called Elden Ring, so I can tell you that my top wine and video game pairing is wine and this fantastic fantasy roleplay adventure game Elden Ring. Except I will also tell you that the further you get down a bottle, the more challenging it becomes. It's an unrelentingly difficult but wonderfully enjoyable game to play. But it brings me to a wider point on wine and its place in this show. We will definitely have wine content because that is part of what we do in Pellicle. But my own relationship with wine, which I may even explore in a future episode, is that I'm just not vibing with natural wine anymore. They are delicious, but they are not reaching out and grabbing me in the same way that other things are. They give me a lot of joy, a lot of pleasure, but it's not something that locks its way inside my brain. I can recite my beers of the year that I made a list of throughout the year from memory, and that's significant. So that'll be something I spend a lot of time talking about. And indeed, I can do that with the ciders I've been drinking as well. I'm very engaged with them. So that's just a little change. But I will say, I did have some great wines. And I did enjoy some great wine places as well. I got to go for a couple of meals at Erst in Manchester, which is a fantastic restaurant and wine bar. As is 40 Maltby Street in London, I had such an amazing meal there this year. But perhaps the best wine experience where I was really engaged with what I was drinking was at a restaurant in Stockport called Where the Light Gets In, where I got to do its tasting menu. And it was one of the best gastronomic experiences I had all year. And I paid for the wine pairing with each course, but I was so wrapped up in the experience of it that I couldn't tell you the name of a single wine I drank this evening. All I can tell you is they were delicious. 
I need to explore my relationship with natural wine. I am not feeling as engaged or interested or excited by it as I used to be. So perhaps that's something we can delve into in the future. But what I can tell you is that we are going to be going through my favourite ciders of the year momentarily. Then we'll be working through my 10 beers of the year. It was an absolute nightmare getting it down to just 10. I was listening to last year's show just to see how my drinking might have changed over the last 12 months. And I had 17 beers of the year last year, which was way too many. I've got it down to 10 this year, and I've used a rule to do that, which some may disagree with, but we'll get onto that shortly. Apologies to the wine listeners who've tuned in. But before we plough on with the show, let's take a chance to check in. And when I say check in this time, it's not about what I've been up to recently, but let's think about the year as it's been. It's been, for me at least, definitely a year of ups and downs. Yes, there have been some challenges this year, but it's also worth reflecting on despite things being so difficult for us individually at home, for people at work, especially for producers in the drinks sector. It's worth reflecting on the positives. I've spoken a lot recently about how I am an optimist and how focusing on the light at the end of the tunnel, it really helps me. But I don't think it's blind optimism. I think it's worth putting weight behind the fact that things can seem really bad, but they might not be as bad as we think. One of the most significant things we've seen this year is breweries closing down. I think the week I've recorded this At least five have closed down. We've seen the Wild Beer Co. go. Solvay Society down in London, I was a huge fan of. Boutiers in the southeast and several others. And each one is a genuine tragedy because it means it's a dream that's been snuffed out. It's people who are out of work in an incredibly challenging market. But according to the data I have, there are still over 2,000 breweries operating today in the UK. In Manchester alone this year, I think at least four new breweries have opened, which is remarkable triumph in the face of adversity. Things are going to get more difficult before they get better. That's a fact. The cost of making beer from the ingredients to the equipment to wages to the aluminium you pack your beers in at the end of the day, everything's going up in price. And that's not going to go back down. This does not mean that every single brewery we love is going to have to close its doors and go out of business. The reality is that the majority of breweries will have a difficult time, maybe even have to downsize a little bit, but great beer and great pubs is not going away. And you need to get out there and support them. It's difficult to say that at the moment because we're all struggling a little bit individually too, but there's never been a better time to go and enjoy a beer at your local or ordering a few cans from your nearest bottle shop. It's a worthwhile investment and every penny you spend helps the industry. I hope over the Christmas season and into the new year you're able to get out there and enjoy some beers. But as I said, I'm I'm hopeful for 2023. That's the point of Pellicle. We set up the magazine to be joyful. And while we've definitely dug into some bigger topics in the industry, from sexism to how disabilities are not catered for by much of the hospitality trade. 
We've also made sure to celebrate some incredible producers and share some stories. Shortly after this podcast publishes, it may have already gone live by the time you're listening to this, we will be publishing our list of the 10 most popular articles of the year. And there are some absolute gems in there. So make sure you head to the site and check that out. So I hope your year's been good. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I am sorry for not getting as many episodes as I promised at the start of the year out. But I do have an absolute mountain of episodes to work through for you. And January, we'll see the gradual release of our panel discussions from this summer's Fine Fest. So stay tuned for them and lots more lovely content from us at Pellicle. Okay, with one last apology to the handful of wine lovers that have tuned into this show, we are going to dive into my favourite ciders of the year. And one extra thing I'm going to do this year is hand out my Cider Maker of the Year Award and Cider of the Year Award. And I will also be handing out a few beer awards for my Brewery of the Year, my Beer of the Year and my New Brewery of the Year at the end of the show. But let's talk about cider. I found myself not quite as engaged with it as I perhaps have been in previous years and certainly not the same way as I am with beer. And I think that's reflected in the fact that there's only three producers on this list. A while ago, I talked about cider and its image problems in a bumper length show where I just rambled on for a long time. And I think I've continued to explore those thoughts as my cider drinking habits have changed. Almost all of the cider I have enjoyed this year has been in pints, or from cans. I very rarely find myself picking up a big 750ml bottle of cider and drinking it or sharing it. That's not to say I don't think these ciders are incredible, but very few of those have lodged itself in my brain as a, as a cider or indeed Perry of the year, despite them being so great, because in terms of cider, that's not presently the experience I'm looking for. I keep Nightingale cider in my fridge at home in big cans and when I want a cider I drink one of them. They were my favourite cider producer of last year so I've given them a buy this year just to give some other cider makers a share of the limelight. Similarly the cider maker I've chosen as my cider maker of the year and the cider that is my favourite is one that comes in pints and should be drank with a plum by the pint. That's where I'm at with cider, and I think that's where a lot of people are at. I watched beer try to winify itself over the last decade, and that hasn't worked out. Although I really love big bottles of spontaneously fermented beer and all of that stuff, it's not what all of beer is about for me. I think my ciders reflect that. The first producer that I really enjoyed ciders and Perry's by is Skybury. Skybury, Skybury, let's settle with Skybury. They are located right on the Welsh-English border near Powys, to the south of the Shropshire Hills. I discovered this producer's ciders at an event we did, Johnny and I, at Peg, which sadly closed down. We were one of the last events. But Johnny curated this list of beers and ciders, and he got in these Skybury ciders and they were absolutely magnificent. I know very little about them other than 
everything I've had from them this year has been very special. And I really do encourage you to go out and try some for yourself. One standout I can tell you about is called Bronwyn, a medium dry cider. And it's a blend, I've got it written down here, of Dabinet, Browns, Stoke Red, Kingston Black and Harry Masters Jersey. Oh, and Michelin. So an orchard blend of apples. It's bottled, I guess, pet nat, slightly sparkling. And it's just one of those really uplifting sunshine in a glass ciders. I also found it not too complex and quite accessible, really. It has that almost sparkling white wine character to it. So Skybury, they are one of my cider producers of the year. My second cider producer, and I could probably say this is my favourite new producer of the year, is Torn Plant. Now, Torn Plant is an interesting one because the producers are actually a pair of brewers. Tom Plant brews at Brew York, and he has been at other breweries, including Salt. And Noah Torn, you can see where the name of the cidery comes from, brews at Chapter Brewhouse. What's really interesting is there's definitely, dare I say, a brewer's approach to cider making in terms of the way they're using different ingredients and methods such as barrel aging to create really quite immaculate cider for such a new producer who only released their first bottles in 2022. The cider I've singled out from the range of theirs I've tried is a stronger cider at 7.2% called Oubliettes. It's a blend of Dabinet and Chisel Jersey that they ferment with wine yeast, and then it's conditioned in bourbon barrels, which gives it that almost vanilla sweet character, balancing out that bitter sweetness. It's not heavily tannic. It doesn't grip. It's superbly accessible. What I like about Torn Plant Ciders is they demonstrate that kind of brewer's balance, which made them very accessible for me out of the gate incredible ciders. So Torn Plant, that is my second cider maker of the year, and Oubliettes was probably my favourite cider from them. But now we'll get on to what is my cider of the year and cider maker of the year, because they're from the same person. I've been really looking forward to speaking about this producer in this context all year. I was at Finefest this summer hosting talks And it was quite a tiring day. Johnny had COVID, so he couldn't go. So I ended up running the whole thing by myself. And I was enjoying plenty of Fine Ale's Jarl while I was there. For those that don't know Jarl, it's quite a bitter beer, despite being very low alcohol. So if you drink it all day, that bitterness does start rasping. So I was really craving something refreshing when it was about 10 o'clock at night. And... I just wanted something to give me ultimate refreshment as I'd finished doing these talks. So I headed to the cider bar and I saw a really exciting range of ciders, but I wanted a pint of something. So I plumped for a cider called Pilot from Ascension Cidery in Sussex and had my first sip as I was walking back to meet up with my friends. And then I had my second and third I think I drank about half a pint before I even joined back up with them. And then I passed it round and suddenly everyone was standing up to go and get a pint of this juice. That's the only way I can describe this cider. Kind of like a New England IPA, but without that kind of sickly sweet back of the throat thing. 
this kind of rounded sweetness seems to work better in a cider than it does in a hazy beer. Pilot is very special in that it's 4.8%, so it's perfectly pintable. And it doesn't use any particular variety of apple. It uses eating apples that have been rejected by supermarkets, so not traditional cider apples. This means that Pilot changes from batch to batch, but it still has this inherent fruitiness, this sessionability that keeps it special. It's all wild fermented as well, so it's a true natural cider, if you will. But I guarantee that you could give this to anyone who says they don't like cider or they don't like non-mass-produced ciders, such as Strongbow, which is probably the most popular cider in the UK. And they will love it too, because it doesn't have anything really challenging. It's just exceptionally well-made. I love it. It's my favourite cider being made in the UK right now. Congratulations to Matt and the team at Ascension Cider for producing something that is, I believe, to be truly exceptional and something that can bring so many people into cider. This is genuinely a gateway beverage and it's ideally enjoyed by the pint. So there you go. My cider of the year is Pilot from my cider maker of the year, Ascension Cider. Congratulations, folks. Before we head into our beers of the year list, I just want to take a quick moment to mention our Patreon and how I'd love you to sign up and support Pellicle. Earlier this year, we put our rates up, which means we pay our contributors 23p a word. We pay photographers and illustrators a minimum of £200. And we typically pay writers about £400 to £450. And there's a few other costs as well such as we pay our editorial team a small retainer, we have to pay to host this podcast, to host the website. All those little costs add up. Since we put our rates up, we've actually been running at a loss. And we're at the point now where things have become slightly challenging for us. It's not panic stations. We're not about to close down and go out of business. But we have been struggling to find the resources to commission new articles and just generally be more creative and give ourselves more space and time to put the proper effort into what we do. In 2023, we're having a big push on our Patreon. We have been trying to break even for a long time. And I've realized that if we break even with the limited resources we have, we will always have limited resources. So what we need to do is try and push Pellicle to become a profitable entity. And to do that, we need to reach 500 paid subscribers. Currently, we have about 290. We've topped out at 298. That 300 has forever eluded us. But we don't want to go to 350. We don't want to go to 400. We want 500 paying supporters. Over 90,000 people have read and listened to Pellicle this year. On average, in a month, more than 10,000 people come to the site. So we think this is more than an achievable target. I don't believe in paywalls, which might be a bad idea. That might convince more people to sign up. But I believe that people who can't afford our content should be able to access it for free. But if you can afford it, you should be paying for it. Because everyone who produces writing, illustration, photography for Pellicle is getting paid a good rate. So if you want to support that, just head to patreon.com 
forward slash PelicleMag and sign up. There's a pound a month option, there's a four pound a month option, and it keeps going up if you can afford more. There's even an option for businesses at £40 a month or £80 a month. If you think having a great magazine that supports your industry is worth supporting, then you should sign up and support us too. Or drop me an email, matthew at pellicalmag.com, and become the sponsor of this podcast. I don't take a wage for this podcast. This is my pet project. Any money I've earned from this, I've put back into running the magazine. Keep that in mind and consider signing up because we want to put that money into making the website profitable. And once we have that resource, it will give our small team of four, which is me, Johnny Hamilton, Katie Mather and Lily Waite, the time and space to properly invest in taking this magazine forward. And hopefully we'll hit that by our fourth birthday on the 1st of May 2023. That's our target. We'll be talking more about that in the new year. But if you can support us, we'd really, really appreciate it. But thank you for reading. Thank you for listening. That's what makes it all worthwhile for us. Right, let's get on with these beers of the year. Okay, this is what you've all been waiting for. My beers of the year. But you might be alarmed to note that there's no lower ABV cast beer on the list. And that's the beer I've drank the most of this year. So what the hell are you doing, Matthew? Well, let me tell you that sometimes I just go for a pint and I don't log it. There was a time when we came out of lockdown 18 months ago and every pint was a fixture in my mind. It stayed with me because it was special. And those pints, although pubs haven't become any less special, those pints have just ebbed away, I guess is the best way to describe them. They were part of the moment. They were not something I was focused on, but they were gluing everything together, just sat in the pub enjoying a delicious pint. So as a result, those are the beers I've cut out of this year's list. Some of the beers on the list I did enjoy from Cask, including the two lagers that were on the list, incidentally. But... That's just the rule I've put in, because they are as important as the pubs I've drank in. Do you know what? I decided not to do a pub of the year, because all of the pubs I've drank in this year have been so great and they're so wonderfully important. I decided not to just single out one or two of them as an award. But I will tell you about some of my favourite pubs from the year. Starting in Manchester, I've been stuck on this sort of infinite loop between the City Arms and Café Beermoth. Manchester's best craft beer bar and Manchester's best pub. And that's saying something. And this is not to slight any of the other pubs and bars in Manchester. You're all amazing. It's just this particular loop I've been in where every beer I've had, every moment I've had in these places has been wonderfully special. Even if I've just popped in for a quick drink. Beer Moth, for example, I look at the beer board with such joy because I can never decide what to drink because I want all of it. And the City Arms, well, It's just a very special pub. One thing about it as well is my phone stops working in there. I don't see it happen to other people. They're on their phones typing away, but my phone just loses all signal. As someone who is permanently on their phone, it's almost like this pub is saying to me, it's time to put that away and just chill. And that's why I love it in there. I've also got to London a few times recently. You know, I used to live there and I talk about that a lot. But there's two pubs there that are incredibly special that I always want to go to when I'm there. And it's the Southampton Arms in Kentish Town and the Sutton Arms in Barbican. Two 
incredible pubs in a sea of pubs. And London has lots of great pubs, but it has so many more mediocre pubs. And so that the Southampton Arms and the Sutton Arms can maintain their specialness means they are worth mentioning year after year after year. Two other pubs I particularly enjoyed this year on my travels were the Colmore Tap in Birmingham, which is one of the Thornbridge and Pivovar collab pubs, a bit like the Banker's Cat in Leeds and the Market Cat in York. But the Colmore Tap is the best of them all. And this pub is fancy. It's got mosaic tiles, got chandeliers. It's a bit grander than I'm typically used to, but I was just so impressed with it and the quality of the beer. I remember drinking in there the Bundabus Thornbridge Collab Mild. Let's give that beer an honourable mention now I've brought it up. It didn't make it into my top 10, but if we're talking lower ABV cast beers, I have harped on a lot about Mild this year. That Bundabus Mild was mega. I hope they bring it back this spring. And I hope I get to go to Birmingham and enjoy it in the Colmore Tap again, because it's a brilliant pub. But the last pub to mention, probably my favourite pub experience of the year, was had when I was out doing the photography for our article on Bradford and the origins of Bundobust, called The Fighting Cock. And I went there with Maya and Marco from Bundobust, as well as David Bailey, their marketing manager, and Will Hawkes, who was writing this article for us. And we were supposed to have one pint and then go for some food. I remember the other four all ordered landlord, but they also had Boltmaker on, Timothy Taylor's superior bitter, in my opinion. So I ordered that. They all saw my Boltmaker and they all were like, oh, we have to have a Boltmaker as well. And we just stayed there chatting for far longer than perhaps we should have with the schedule we had. What an amazing pub. I've been trying to find excuses to get back to Bradford and go there again because I had such a nice time there. I didn't even get to try the food they do there. I've only had two pints in there and I'm already thinking about it. That's what makes a pub special. So Bradford, put that on your list of beer destinations and get over to there. It's not the only place that's great there, but it's one that is worth visiting. I think though, I'm going to start my beers of the year list with my two favourite lagers, which were both from British producers. And the first one, there is a huge conflict of interest in. Because Johnny makes it. Johnny, for those of you who don't know, Johnny Hamilton is my co-founder in Pellicle, but he's also the brewer at New Barnes Brewery in Leith. And the beers they make up there are exceptional. They've got huge pedigree behind them, coming as they are from breweries like The Colonel, Beavertown and Siren. So it was to be expected that they were going to come out of the gates with some amazing beers. But it's one particular beer, their oat lager beer, that has really captivated me. What I love about this beer is it combines a few little special tricks, the use of oats for that softness. But this beer is not about softness exclusively. It's about this snap of bitterness. It's such a thirst-quenching, clean, immaculate lager. And I have to drink it whenever I see it on tap. And I had a particular highlight this year when they did it on cask. And I made my way to Cafe Beer Moth, where I tried it. And it was just even better on cask, I think. In fact, my tasting notes that I wrote down when I enjoyed it just said Taris Bulba. It reminded me of the modern Belgian classic in terms of this snappiness, this drinkability. And when I say snap, it means fresh and drinkable. The hops are present, not oppressive. They are being used as seasoning. 
The malt comes through this lovely biscuity wave and then it cleans it up with a snap of the fingers. So New Barn's Oat Lager Beer. That was the first of my favourites. And the other lager on the list is from another long-term favourite of mine, Red Willow, who have upgraded their brewery recently, which has really improved the quality of their lagers. And they even held a lager festival in the summer, which I went down to, and I tried lots of beers from Red Willow, lots of beers from other breweries, including New Barns. But the standout of the day was meaningless, their Vienna Lager. A Vienna Lager is a maltier style. It's more of a copper hue in the glass, and it definitely has a sweeter, more caramel, more treacly note to it. But when brewed well, again with that clean, refreshing peppery snap of hops that dries up that sweetness it becomes something that is so delicious and refreshing and meaningless just hit all of those notes and yes at the lager festival they also served it on cask which kind of enhanced all of these flavors cask lager was something that really surprised me this year and you know what i thought it was going to be a bigger thing honestly but it just didn't happen that way i had a few and they were all great but then things got colder and maybe cask lager is not going to be as appealing when you'd rather have a nice bitter or stout. But it has been a great year of lagers. I said on last year's podcast that British lager has arrived and it just keeps going from strength to strength. But they were my two favourite lagers I enjoyed this year. I also enjoyed some fantastic Lambic from Lambic Fabrique in Belgium called Juicy and Wild Muscar L and it's a grape lambic so it's a co-ferment sort of beer wine hybrid. This was one of the beers I got sent by my friends at Hot Burns and Black to do a review of for their website. I do a couple of reviews for them every month but this one was probably the best beer they sent me all year. I'm a bit cynical about lambic I'll be honest with you I think it's wildly overhyped and I enjoy drinking it as much as the rest of you but it's held up in this high regard and I maybe don't feel like that about it like some other people do and that's fine everyone has their own beer experience and where some people go nuts about Lambic I go nuts about Cascale and West Coast IPAs that's just how it works but this Juicy and Wild was just incredible. It sang from the glass with notes of honeydew melon I've written down here, but with that vinous tart Chardonnay character coming through as well. It's a really special beer and it's great to see some of the younger Lambic producers snapping at the heels of the big names with beers of this quality. I highly recommend you seek it out. That beer again, Juicy and Wild Muscarelle from Lambic Fabrique. I couldn't talk about mixed fermentation beers in the UK without talking about what Dea have been doing this year. Toby Munn, who I've heard is actually moving on to Burning Sky, who are another fantastic producer of wild ales. But Toby at Dea has been doing some very special beers, as well as some cider and peri hybrids with Little Pomona cider. I met up with Toby in the summer Actually, it was at Finefest. I had a lot of lovely beer experiences there. And he was just opening a few bottles. They were all pretty spectacular. But one of them, however, just jumped out at me. It was called Cooper's Hill. And it was a rhubarb wild ale or rhubarb saison, I think Toby described to me at the time. 
What I love about Dea's mixed fermentation beers is that they taste like Dea beers. I got to visit the brewery recently, and what's really impressive about what they do is they have this water treatment plant. I think there's only three of this model of water treatment plant in the UK. I know Duration are another of the breweries that have them. But essentially, it's a bit like a reverse osmosis system in that they can strip everything out of the local tap water and then build in their own profile. And theirs is specifically for producing their flagship beer, Steady Rolling Man. They are a little bit of a Steady Rolling Man factory because people love it so much. It's a massive amount of their production. Because of this, they have to have that soft water profile for Steady. It means all of their beers have this same softness pillowy, oaty cushion that is characteristic of all Dea beers. Add in that wild character, and theirs is soft. It has that acidic note, but it's not aggressive, but also with the taste of fresh rhubarb. And I'm not talking like a sweet, stewed rhubarb dessert, just that freshness, almost like that harvest quality. It's difficult to describe. A rhubarbiness. It was so pronounced and delightful in this beer. It worked so well with the character of their mixed fermentation culture and that water profile. It really stood out and it was probably the best wild ale I drank all year. I'm not sure if there's much of it about, but Dea Cooper's Hill, Rhubarb Wild Ale, do seek it out if there's any left. It's delightful. Before I get into the five west coast ipas on my list yes half of my list is west coast ipas i am as predictable as a clock but i did enjoy an imperial stout i've told a lot of people this year oh i don't like stuff in my imperial stouts i like classic big roasty and bitter imperial stouts but i had one this year that just it's very hyped and i jumped on that hype train and just rode it around the globe basically Good King Henry Imperial Stout, which used to be brewed by a brewery called Old Chimneys, but is now brewed by Grain Brewery in Norfolk as the brewer from Old Chimneys has retired, but he still helps out and is very much involved with the production of Good King Henry. This is what Imperial Stouts should be, balanced yet bold. It has so much going on. The first time I came across it this year, was at the Clitheroe Beer Festival, which I travelled up for, the local Camera Branches Beer Festival, and they were very excited to have procured a keg. I tried a couple of lower-strength cast beers, but I knew I wanted to go for it. I sat down with it outside in the sun, and I was just like, bloody hell. I just could not believe how good it was, how integrated that black treacle sweetness was with the just roasted malts, just that bit of astringency, making it so drinkable. I went back and got another. I shouldn't have because it made me a little bit wobbly on the walk back to the train station. But wow, it was just incredible. And I managed to get it a couple more times in the year and it was just as good every time. This beer was hugely popularised on Rate Beer a few years ago by Raters, bumping up its rating, and I tried not to buy into the hype, honestly. But this year, it got me hook, line and sinker. It's so great to see that Grain, which is in itself a hugely underrated brewery, I think they're making some incredible beer. It's great to see that the torch has been passed on to them and this beer can continue. Good King Henry from Grain Brewery and Old Chimneys in Norfolk. That is my fifth beer of the year.
But now, it's IPA time, baby. This year has really been, for me, a bit of a love affair with my favourite beer style, the West Coast IPA. I think UK brewers have really embraced them once again, but I've also got the chance to go over to the US and drink some fresh West Coast beers over there, which have been sensational. It's just, I don't know, this style is just everything I want from beer. The flavour, the boldness, the balance. I find it too easy to drink. This is the style that got me into beer. This is the style that made me want to be a beer writer. This is why I'm sat here in front of a microphone telling you about how much I love these beers because of West Coast IPA or American IPA, as we used to call it before IPA got way too complicated for its own good. And the first on my list is Bosco from London's Pressure Drop Brewery. I had a can of this near the start of the year and wow, it just has that malt hot balance just bang on. Pine, citrus, barley sugar sweets. It was immaculately clean. This was a beer that, you know, 10 years ago when it came out was a nice kind of imitation of an American West Coast IPA. Now you could take cans in your suitcase, give them to an American in America and they would think it's probably made by an American brewery. It is a beer I wish they made all year round. So yes, congratulations to Pressure Drop. Please make more Bosco. Similarly, Duration, whose Dripping Pitch is one of my favourite West Coast IPAs, they actually bettered that this year with a beer called Sun on My Shoulders. I'll make a confession here in that I quite like it when you get that allium, onion kind of flavour in small amounts in an IPA. An almost savoury quality amid the citrus and fruit and bitterness. That's something that I relish when it's done well. And I think a good example of a brewery that's always done this well is someone like The Alchemist with a beer like Focal Banger. Sun on My Shoulders from Duration had that savoury character with that tropical fruit character and then the dry finish. They make immaculate West Coast IPAs. And this was my favourite beer from them of the year. I think Duration are one of the best breweries in the country. I wouldn't say underrated. They're very highly rated. I just wish I'd see more of it, I guess, come through the Northwest. They are also down in Norfolk, not far at all from Grain Brewery. But yes, a rebrew of Sun on My Shoulders, Duration's best West Coast IPA. Yes, I think that should be on the cards because I know you're listening. So please make it again. And before I go to my last beer, I've got two international beers on the list. I had family visit from New Zealand who stayed with us for the summer, my partner Diane's mum and dad, and they asked if I wanted any beers from New Zealand bringing over when they arrived. And I said, do you know what? I would love a few cans of Garage Project Pernicious Weed. Garage Project is an amazing brewery based in Wellington in New Zealand. And I was lucky enough to visit there a few years ago and be shown around the operation by its owner, Joss Ruffle. It really is impressive but pernicious weed is just a very special ipa in the way it showcases that gooseberry character of new zealand hops and i've had this beer many times but when they gave me those cans and i cracked open the first one i don't think i've ever tasted it that good they've just got better and better if you want to experience how good new zealand hops can be pernicious weed should be the showcase for them it was just immaculate. I can't say any more than that. It's a shame that they don't export to the UK, but it was a real privilege to get to drink. I think I had six cans. I did give two away, but I think I kept four of them to myself. It was that good. 
If you do get the chance to try any garage project beers, in particular pernicious weed, do look out for them because they are very special. I had a similar, I think immaculate is the word, experience with a beer called Top Cutter from a brewery called Bailbreaker. Now, if you listened to last year's show, you'll remember I lost it a bit over this beer called Exfis from Bailbreaker, which was a barrel-aged golden ale that made my jaw drop. So I wanted to seek out more beers from them, which is difficult because they don't export to the UK. But when I was at the Society of Independent Brewers annual Beer X conference, the hop merchant Yakima Chief had 10-day-old cans of Top Cutter, their flagship IPA. Now, Bailbreaker and Yakima Chief, there's a bit of a family connection there, as I've found. The brewery are basically right next to where Yakima Chief are based in Yakima, which means, as you might expect, they get access to some of the best, freshest hops going. So how to describe Top Cutter? If you visualise with me the flavours of, I'm really close to the mic now, visualise, I want you to visualise the flavours of a West Coast IPA. Yes. Close your eyes and when you're getting that malt sweetness coming through, yes. And then that snap of hops, yes. It's coming in, it's pine filling the nostrils, fresh squeezed grapefruit, waves of bitterness, but then that underpinning of barley sweetness. And then the finish dries out, but that bitterness just keeps going. It's still going. It's still going. You've got to take another sip now. It's delicious. That's Top Cutter. Honestly, it's like a drawing in the mind of a West Coast IPA. What can I say? It's such an amazing beer. Do seek it out. It blew my mind and uh, I hope it's something I get to drink again. Thank you to Luke at Yakima Chief for furnishing me with a few cans of that and blowing my mind with such a wonderful beer. But next, I'm going to announce my beer of the year. I spent a long time thinking about this. This beer has been a very special beer for me this year. I've crossed town when I've been on my phone and I've seen a pub has put it on cask. I've hung out with friends and been enjoying it so much I've drank three pints of it in an hour, despite it being 5.9% alcohol. It's just a great beer, but not on keg and not in can. It's okay on keg and can, but on cask, this beer, it just is my favourite beer at the moment. And that beer is Thornbridge Jaipur. I've had a bit of a weird relationship with this beer over the years. It's been heavily discussed as how it's not the same as it used to be. And honestly, with the advancement in technology and breweries and ingredients and the freshness of ingredients no beers don't taste the same as they did 10 years ago and they won't because they're made with farmed ingredients that aren't going to taste exactly the same year from year if anything for me cask jaipur has got better and better and better to the point it's at now where it is just such a special beer for me it melds two very important qualities which is why it's my favorite beer it has that west coast ipa fruits that oranginess that bitterness but it also has that English classic cascale character. It's a hybrid of the two. Although it's described as a West Coast IPA, for me it melds my favourite thing about cask beer and West Coast IPA in one. This is the centre of the Venn diagram. So there we go. That's my beer of the year, Thornbridge Jaipur. A bit of an obvious pick, yeah, but I love it. What can I say? It's just a beer that I would go out of my way to drink again and again and again. And I think. Is there any better sign of how special a beer is? 
the beer of the year should be a beer that most of you listening to this can go out and get. But I will reinforce, I mean, on cask specifically. What I found out when I visited Thornbridge about a year ago now is that the cask version is actually made with a different yeast because they have a yeast for their cask beers and a yeast for their keg and can beers. And I think that's the key difference in keeping that boldness of flavour and yet that inherent drinkability. So I'd like to wish a big congratulations to Rob, Dom and the team at Thornbridge for making my beer of the year, Thornbridge Jaipur. It's well deserved. If you would like a certificate, I'll make you one. You can print that out, put that on your office wall or you can make your own. I don't mind. That'll save me a job. Congratulations though, folks. It's a really well-deserved accolade. Before I go though, I've got two more little awards to hand out. And they are both very Manchester-centric, because a lot of my writing and research, as I will soon reveal why, is very Manchester-centric at the moment. But as regular listeners of this podcast will know, I've really fallen head over heels in love with this city. I love Manchester, and I guess this is where my optimism comes from. Despite all the adversity I read about and I know is happening, and how challenging the beer industry is, when I go out in Manchester, the pubs are packed. People are throwing back the pints. There is no loss of appetite for beer, for pubs. And that's why I am so in love with this city. And so both my new brewery of the year and brewery of the year are Manchester breweries. And my new brewery of the year is actually focusing exclusively on barrel-aged and mixed fermentation beers. And they have come out of the gate producing beers of an exceptionally high standard. And that is Balance Brewing and Blending who have just this week moved into their new home on Sheffield Street, a few doors down from another new brewery, Shawshot. They've only released a few beers so far, but each one has just bowled me over. I recently had some mushroom-based mixed fermentation beers from them, which were, well, they reminded me of Jester King beers, honestly. Not just because Jester King have also produced a mushroom beer, but in that subtle acidity, that farmhouse funk, So well done for such a young brewery. When we held our event at Peg in the summer, the Saison de Maison, the house Saison, from Balance, that was the first beer to sell out. We had a crowd that was mostly natural wine drinkers, and this was the beer they gravitated towards. Palettes don't lie. So that says to me how great these beers truly are. My favourite, though, was the Damson Sour Jam, which was just such a well-integrated example of damson flavor i can't wait to see what balance are going to do in 2023 especially as i hear they're opening a tap room so congratulations balance you are my new brewery of the year my brewery of the year though as someone who spends most of their time in pubs their tap room has become kind of one of my favorite pubs and although none of their beers made it into my beers of the year list their beers are all deserving of going in there. And do you know what? Most of the beer they make, I don't really drink because they make a lot of hazy IPAs that I'm just not that into. Thankfully, their cask offering is amazing. Their West Coast IPAs are amazing. Their lagers, which I have smashed countless pints of in the summer, are amazing. They've just built a brand and space and range of beers that is welcoming to everyone. And my brewery of the year is Track Bruco. Years ago, I used to do events at a couple of pubs in London called The Prince and the Duke's Head. 
and I invited down Sam Dyson and Stefan Melbourne of Track in their early years to come and launch a beer which eventually became Half Dome, one of their flagship pale ales. And we had a range of beers on and we did a little bit of a food pairing and talked a bit. I was just really impressed about this new brewery. But this year I've seen them open a space. It's big, but it's modest. It's not crazy expansion, it's just right. And a taproom space that is just... It just makes you want to drink beer, especially now they've opened the beer garden in the back as well. With the bright colours they've used, the full view of the brewery. You could drop that in San Diego and it wouldn't feel out of place. Except it also has one of the best cast beer offerings. Not just its flagship Sonoma, but all of its cast beers, such as the Made in the Shade Porter I've been enjoying recently, have been very special indeed. I feel this brewery is at the start of a really key part of its journey as it's become such a fixture in Manchester. I mean, that little corner of tap rooms, you've got Shawshot, Soon Balance, Cloudwater's Unit 9 and the track tap room. It's just an amazing experience right by Manchester Piccadilly Station. But I've just been really bowled over by what the guys of track have been doing this year. So congratulations. You are my brewery of the year. And with that, I'm going to end this Beers of the Year podcast. I feel this might have been a bit chaotic. There was a lot of stuff there, but I hope you have enjoyed what you've listened to. You might agree or disagree with what have been my favourites, but I hope you managed to seek them out if you haven't had them before and try them for yourselves. From me, I'd like to say to you all, thank you for listening to this podcast. At the start of this year, I said, this is going to be my podcast year, and I only produced six episodes, which isn't good enough. Next year is going to be my podcast year. I've already got 12 episodes in production and I really want to make sure this is available regularly for you to listen to. But thank you for those of you who've stuck with it and those of you who found the podcast this year. I really hope you've enjoyed it. It's been great fun recording them for you and I can't wait to make a load more episodes. Right, that's it. Go to Patreon, subscribe, support Pellicle, then go and have a fantastic Christmas and New Year. You have been listening to the Pellicle Podcast. I'm Matthew Curtis, and I'll be back very, very soon. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.